And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Kevin J. Milsom, who had a near-death experience. And during this time, he saw his mother and stepfather, and today we're going to learn about it. Kevin, thank you so much for being my guest, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor and a privilege, Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you. Kevin, if you don't mind, let's just start with your NDE and go from there. Absolutely. Um, It was in uh, 2018, four years ago now. Um, I've always been ridiculously healthy and fit, but in 2018, I became very unwell. And it was discovered that I had, um, I was riddled with sepsis, which I'd never heard of. Um, And I was rushed into a hospital. And um, it was found that I, I, that my right uh, foot and my right leg were absolutely riddled with sepsis. And I, I thought I might just go in and have some painkillers and be allowed to go home. But no, it was um, it was it was quite a traumatic experience. I didn't realise how ill I was, which is probably just as well because else I'd have had a stroke and died. Um, but I ended up in um, in surgery essentially, and I was told that the surgery. Um, well, the situation was they didn't actually tell me uh, uh, how serious it was, which is uh, again is is probably. But my poor wife um, had that awful phone call that, you know, you need to come to the hospital immediately because he's dropping very quickly, which must be, you know, so my wife and my eldest daughter were waiting. They'd missed me going down to surgery and I had an operation to remove uh, some a very dark poison from my foot. But when I looked down after the surgery, basically um, most of my foot had been amputated, but the um, there was a black line that was going up my leg with the sepsis and I was told that if it went above my knee that's it you know that's game game over so they said look we've done you know we've um we've done our best with the um operation on your foot but we do need to take your right leg off to be absolutely certain and so I had a little bit of time to contemplate that about how life would be without my my right leg I was 55 at, at the time and me and my right leg had had some good times but um it 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 was it was a strange one because I got chatting to a lot of psychologists in the hospital, Jeff, and it was basically a question of, well, you can keep your leg or you can die, and I didn't I didn't want to die, so I I just made the decision that you know the 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 leg would have to come off. I didn't realise how ill I was, and I didn't realise why they kept waking me up every hour, um, to fill me with needles. Um, and then afterwards I was told that it was because they thought that, you know, they, they have to check you every hour to make sure that you haven't gone over. Um, and on the morning of the operation to remove my right leg, I woke up about five o'clock in the morning and I got jabbed with this and jabbed with that. And I had needles all over the place. Before I went into the hospital, I was a needle phobe, couldn't go near a needle. Within two hours of being in the hospital, I was completely cured because I've been jabbed a hundred times. <laughs> so needles don't bother me at all now. And in fact, during the operation, they give me an epidural, which was like that, um, which I would have probably had a heart attack prior to. But I woke up, Jeff, at five o'clock in the morning and I was jabbed and the nurse said, are you OK? Are you still with us? And I said, yes, I'm fine. And she went away and I didn't feel very well. I was thinking about the forthcoming op- um, and surgery, which was going to be at nine o'clock. 
And I didn't feel very well at all. I had pains in my chest and my heart had actually given out on the operating table when I was having my surgery and they'd had to bring me back. Um, and I was still, they were still very concerned about me and they said to my wife, it's touch and go. Obviously they didn't say that to me. Um, and it got to about quarter past five in the morning and I thought, well, you know, and, and, and being British, I don't like to make a fuss. But I thought, I, I, you know, these, these pains are getting really bad. And I had a little buzzer next, and I thought, I'm going to have to get the nurse back in. And I can remember reaching for the buzzer, and then it went black. I can't remember anything else after that. Next thing, I'm going feet first down a tunnel, and I can see a light at the end of the tunnel, and there is some internal light in the tunnel as well. And I'm going down this tunnel really quickly, feet first, and the pain in my chest is gone any sense of discomfort has gone. And I'm not scared, I'm curious. I'm, I'm fascinated by what's going on. I emerge through the lights and I find myself standing in a room. And I would say the room was about 20 foot square. And it was the whitest of whites. I mean, if you go into a hospital room, it's very clinical, it's very white. This was white to the point of shining the walls the floor the ceiling it was it was like the walls were radiant white and i saw a group of people in front of me and two of them were at the front and then there were people at the back and i i recognized some of the people at the back but i was focused on the two at the front one was my mother who'd passed in 2009 and the other one was my lovely stepfather who'd passed in 2005 and my mother was at the front and I remember just looking at her and like, what's going on? I, I have, you know, and she came up and she was her old self, uh, very, very vocal. Stepfather couldn't get a word in edgeways, as per usual. And she was telling me about heaven and she was telling me about spirit. And, and my mother spoke like, like a Gatling gun. But she was like a Gatling gun. Oh, it's lovely here. Blah, 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 blah. And she was telling me about the wonderful gardens because she loved gardens and my stepfather loved gardens. Oh, she said, the flowers, all this. Oh, you can't, oh, you wait till you see the, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm still in a bit of shock. I'm still, okay, I'm trying to register what's going on here. And she's saying, oh, it's wonderful. You, you know, you'll love the roses. Oh, the roses, oh, all the colours, oh, it's wonderful. The animals, oh, and all this stuff. And I started getting cross really cross and angry, which I wasn't expecting to do. And I wasn't angry at her. I wasn't angry at anybody else. I was angry at me. And I was like, I was judging myself. I, was, I wasn't being judged. I was judging myself. And I thought, okay, is this the right time to die for me? And have I achieved what I wanted to do? And I realized that the answer to the second question was no. I'd not achieved creatively. Yes, I got married. Yes, I'd had children. Yes, I'd had work and you know, friends and love and all this kind of stuff. But creatively, my creative projects, I'd done nothing. I'd been lazy. I'd lacked confidence. Whole toilet roll list of reasons why I hadn't done stuff, but essentially I hadn't done it. I got really cross with myself. And my mother said, don't get angry. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You'll love the flowers. They're, they're, and I was thinking, oh, I, I don't want to hear about the flowers. I'm, you know, I'm having a moment here. I'm not ready to go. I didn't feel I was ready to go. And I started my internal anger or my internal discomfort got, got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I was like, 
why haven't I done these things? Why have I not? Why did I, why did I lose confidence there? Why didn't I? And it was like I was seeing my life back over again. And all the times I could have written that book, or I could have composed that song, or I could have done this, or I could have done that. I could have enhanced my life in so many ways if I'd been more confident, if I'd been more bold, if I'd been more courageous, if I'd been braver. And I, I haven't. Um, I'd been timid. I'd been, you know, uh, weak. I was getting really cross. <laughs> and my mother said, okay, you're not going to listen to me. Have a word with him. He'll tell you everything that you need to know. And I thought, who's she talking to? And I looked to my left and I hadn't noticed, but there, there was a door in the wall, which was also very white. Um, and a, a male figure came through the door and walked towards me. Now, I'm not a religious soul. I'm, I'm not a religious person. Had I been religious and had I been of the Christian persuasion, I would have probably said that the figure was Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Christ. Because he was dressed in a white gown, which was shimmering, different colours. As was my mother, actually. But his was really white and shimmering like rainbow colours. And he had a beard. But I would say his appearance was more European than Middle Eastern, which was why I would, yeah. So I would say, I, I would say he was a spiritual teacher, a, a, a mentor. And I felt I knew him, but I wasn't sure where from. And whereas my mother had been talking to me, and I, I'm sure I saw her mouth going <laughs> a lot, when he spoke to me, it was purely mental. There, there, there was no voice, uh, sorry, there, there was no mouth movement at all. And he said, why are you here? And I said, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I was getting really angry and I started getting a bit, you know, why are you asking me that? You know, I, I'm, I'm having a moment here. I'm getting really cross. You know, I'm, I'm judging my life and I felt miserably and, rah, 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 and all this. And the anger I got, the karma he got, and he came really, really close to me and he said, what do you want to do? And I, well, well, I, well. I've got all these projects and I haven't done them. And he said, what do you want to do? And again, the angrier I got and the more impulsive I got, the calmer his voice became. And the patience, his patience with me was phenomenal because I was really getting quite angry with, with myself. And I said, well, I've got all these things to do. I've got all these things to do. And, you know, I haven't even started them yet. And I'm 55 and, you know, it's not like I'm 19 again. I was doing all of this and just, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do stuff. And he went, fine. And then I, next thing I know, I, I woke up in the bed. And I looked at the clock, and I think 10, 10 minutes had passed. And I thought, blame me. Um, and I felt very unusual in the sense that I felt very calm. I felt as if I'd expelled a lot of something out of me. Um, but it was, you know, like, like anger or, 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 or uh, something. But, but I felt a bit lighter of spirit, of mind, of body. And I thought, wow. And it, it, was, it felt so real to me. And I couldn't get it off my mind. And then gradually, I'm watching the clock, and it's now an hour to my operation. And I'm thinking, okay. And I had a chat with my right leg, and we... we you know, we had our moments, so all the fun that we'd had playing sports, all, all the fun that we'd had walking, hiking. And I said, you know, it's been nice knowing you and all this kind of stuff. And I started to, I'd, I'd been so ill that 
my wife had brought in a laptop for me and I hadn't even noticed it was there. And I thought, well, I've got an hour to kill. So I picked up the laptop and I opened it up on social media. And of course, I hadn't been on social media since I'd gone to hospital. I'd been in there for three days at that point. And at the time, I was working as a distance healer for um, an online network. I know about thousands of us around the world. And we would get cases every week. It was all free of charge. But we would get cases globally and, and we would send our healing energy out, out, out to them. And I, I, I went to my email and I saw that I had a thousand people praying for me all around the world. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful. And then I went to my Facebook and my wife had gone on and she'd been brutally honest and said, look, Kevin's really not very well at all. It's touch and go. Could everybody pray for him or send out healing? I don't care about your religion. I'm not interested. Send him energy. So I had Christians sending me prayers. I had atheists sending out. I had spiritualists. Everybody sent out. And I, I must have had nearly 2,000 people. And before I got to that, in my bed, I, this is going to sound really weird. It felt like I was wearing a donut. I, I can't really put it anything. It felt like I had a donut around me with a hole in, with a hole in the middle and the hole went through my body. And it was over, over, my, over my solar plexus. And as I began reading these wonderful comments and prayers and everybody wishing me the best, yeah, and this donut began to literally glow. And the healing energy was phenomenal. And once I accidentally touched it with my hand and my just a ball in my eyes with just pure uh, emotion. And I thought, oh, and for the first time in my head, somebody, something said, it's going to be OK. You're going to be fine. And I thought, I am. I'm, I'm going to because of this. Oh, my God, this is incredible. The dreaded hour came at nine o'clock. The surgeon came in who had saved my life. Bless him and love him for all eternity. He came in. And you see, he came over and said, are you all right, mate? You know, you know, and, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you're going to be all right with this today. You are going to be fine. You've seen the psychologist. Yeah, I've seen the psychologist. I've chatted to my wife. And it's fine. I, I can have a robot leg. It's going to be cool. It, the main thing is I'm still going to be breathing and living and dancing or, or hopping. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, cool. And the head nurse came in who I hadn't seen. She'd been away for the week. And he said, oh, have you seen Kevin's foot? Because apparently I had the worst injury to a foot that the hospital had ever seen where the leg had not immediately had to be cut off. So my, my injury was something that they normally only saw in textbooks. So I had every student nurse coming in to take photographs of my uh, foot. And it, it, it became a real star in the hospital because it, they were able to see it firsthand. So even though I had no toes, they were going, all my um, um, uh, bits were still functioning. So they go, move your big toe. And I said, but I've got a big toe. Well, move one. And, they, and then they would see all the nerves going. They go, oh, that's amazing. So I became a bit of a, <laughs> a, a star in there, or my, my, my foot did. Um, and it was really bad. I did look at it, and it looked like something from a horror film, Jeff. It really was. Because essentially, without wanting to make people feel sick, it, it was a shell. There was nothing in the middle. So you'd look down the toes and you'd see the ankle. There was nothing in the middle. It had all been cut away. There were some bones there. Some of them weren't in the right place, but that was essentially it. And the tendons were there and the nerves. And that, and that really was it. And I was told that, you know, the leg would have to come off. So he said to the nurse, he said, um, look at Kev's um, foot. He said, oh, you won't see another one like that. 
And she went, oh, hello, my name's Nurse Blah Blah. And she's all these blind, you know, blood everywhere. And she's taking the bandages off. He said, oh, it's terrible. He said, it really is. He said, we have to get him down in 10 minutes. Otherwise, you know, all this stuff. And she took the bandages off and she went, doctor, could you come in here a moment? And he said, no, no. He said, I've, I, I've seen it. He said, I was the one doing the surgery. And she said, no, doctor, could you come and look at Kevin's foot, please? And he said, nurse, I've got, I've got loads to do. I've got loads to do. And he said, and she said, no, could you come and look at his foot now? And he, and I, I'm thinking, what's, you know, what's going on down there? Mm-hmm. You know, because you start, you know, it's a horse's hoof. What's going on? Is an alien tentacle coming out? What's going on here? And he came over and he swore. And I thought, well, that's not good. That, that can't be good. And I said, I think you might need to let me in on this. What the bleep is going on with my foot? You know, because I would like to know, seeing as this is my bleeping foot. And he said, um, well, he said, medically, I can't explain it. He said, have a look for yourself. And the previous day it had been black and the black had been up to my, I'd say the top of my shin bone. And as I said, if it went over the knee, that's good night. And he said, have a look at your foot, please, Kevin. And I looked at it and it was so pink and clean, I could have ate my dinner off it. And he said, okay, medically, we can't explain that. But um, the body is a wonderful thing. And then he went away because he couldn't. And, and the nurse said, this is very odd because that shouldn't, you know, where's all the sepsis gone? You know, we got the worst bits out, but it was still riddled, which is why your legs are going to have to come off. And they couldn't work it out. But they would just say, especially the doctors and the surgeons will say, well, the human body is a, you know, it, it, it's a funny thing, you know. The nurses are more open-minded to, because I, I did say, well, I have got about 1,500 people praying for me. And they went, oh, <laughs> of course you have. Yeah, bless him. Um, but the nurses would did come over and say, we understand. He said, you're wasting time with the doctors and the surgeons because they did buy the, the books. But we understand, we get it. And then they said, well, your foot's, because again, there's nothing in it. And they said, well, it's never going to heal. So you need plastic surgery. So I said, okay, that's fine. And then two days later, it started healing. And they said, but there's no substance in your foot. It's got nothing to, it's, there's no material there to knit together. And I said, well, you tell that to my foot because it's doing it. And they said, well, it, you know, it's never going to heal. And then three days later, there was more in there. And they said, well, it'll take 10 years. And then it was going to take seven years. Then it's going to take five years. It took a month to heal completely to fill up and I said how is that and they said I don't know you're weird can you go home because yeah <laughs> get out of here um but they said it there's no reason what why that that should have happened there was nothing there, there wasn't enough material inside the foot but my foot went well yeah <laughs> I'm not going to listen to you and I was in hospital for just over a month. I've got lifelong problems with the foot. Um, I mean, because obviously a lot of damage was done to it, but I can get around. I've got an orthopedic boot. I never needed plastic surgery. I do wear an orthopedic shoe, uh, a boot. Um, and I had I to go into hospital once every two weeks to just have it checked and cleaned and everything else. But yes, it was a very strange um a very strange moment in in my life because I didn't realize how ill I was. Um, and then they couldn't explain the recovery process. And I, I did try to explain about you know spiritual healing and I've got a thousand people all around the world, and they went, Well, yes, but that's you know, that's poppycock and nonsense. 
But the only one who, who I was able to have a good chat with was the hospital chaplain who came around. And we had a wonderful talk for an hour about the healing power of God. I said, look, I'm not religious, so, you know, don't try me with, you know, that stuff, or, you know, Jesus, and blah, 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 um, Christianity. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, no, but can we talk about the, the healing power of God's love? And I went, oh, yeah. And we, we talked an hour for that. And she said, I've seen all your notes. And she was a trained medic herself. And she said, I've seen your notes. Your foot shouldn't be that way. That should not have happened. None of that makes any sense. You should now have no right leg at all. In fact, you should probably be dead. Um, she said, so, you know, I, she said, I know you're not a Christian, but do you believe in God? And I said, absolutely, I believe in God. I believe in the power of love. I believe in the power of healing. I believe in the power of, you know, that life goes on beyond physical death. I, I believe in all of that and always have them. And she said, well, sometimes we just need that faith. And I said, yeah, my faith is absolutely rock solid. I know that something exists beyond. I, I couldn't put a name to it. Um, but I know that something is there. And my what happened to me in hospital kind of exemplifies that, you, you know. And they did say to me well, while I was in hospital, they did say your faith, you know, because they did ask me, they said, are you a, a, a priest or something or a vicar? And I said, no. And they said, but you, you've got all these books on faith in your bedside cabinet and, and, and God and all this, and, you know. Um, and I said, well, yeah, yeah, I do believe in the power of faith. So we were talking about that with the nurses and they said, do you know what saved you? And I said, what? And they said, your, your positive conviction was 50% of your healing power uh, and your, your obvious faith in whatever you believe in, in whatever form that is. You know, they said, we've seen this before because the sad thing was, Jeff, I was in hospital on a public ward and I was in with people who had lesser injuries than mine and yet they passed away because I think they they didn't have well, they didn't have that faith or they they felt it was their time and although I was given a choice I I I, I knew it wasn't my my time to go I, I just knew it wasn't my time to go I knew I had stuff to do when I came back and I was determined to come back um and I, I would have loved to see the flowers. I'd have loved seeing the trees. I'd love seeing the animals. I'd love seeing all of that. I, I would. I would have absolutely loved it, because yeah. You and know, I'm, I'm in no rush to die, but I know that one day when I do see that, I've got no fear of death, and and I can't wait to see it. But I knew that that wasn't the time for me to to go. I still got a lot of work to do here creatively, um, and I think from the for the past four years, my life changed from that moment because now my life is structured towards okay, every day is a blessing because I came that close to dying. So every day now is a total gift, a joy. How, you know, no day should be wasted. And how can I put that to the best? You know, what can I write? What can I compose? What can I, what can I make? What can I create? You, you know, and so it's be, it began the foundation for a lot of online um, activity from on my part and my wife's part and a real determination to study to get qualified to get out there to help other people to inspire other people to listen to other people whatever you, you know to feel service and uh, in whatever form that is and sometimes that is just listening to other people or to somebody as i say you know, I've encountered a lot of people in life who fear death, and I, I've never feared death, especially after an experience I had in the 1980s. I don't fear death, death in the slightest. But coming across somebody who does, you know, um, 
it's it's a tremendous privilege to be able to work with them and give them confidence that there is something beyond physical life which you know a lot of people don't believe in and don't even think about until their health is at that point where they're thinking oh my god it could be my turn next oh my god i i better start thinking about god and jesus and heaven and all this stuff um but the fear is is you know is tangible with so many people and they, they are petrified that either there's nothing beyond death or that it's going to be something that they don't want. It's going to be some kind of um, system which doesn't fit in with their personal belief structure. Um, and so for the last four years, it's really been building that and trying to turn ideals into practical realities and um, and, and, and and really, as I say, trying to make everyday count, Jeff, I, 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 I think, you know, trying to feel worthwhile because up to that point, I think sometimes until we, get that ill we kind of have a tendency to coast through life there's always a there's always going to be a tomorrow there's always going to be next week there's always going to be a next year especially when we're younger we're going to live forever um and something like that is a real slap in the face because you know you come back close and you think oh my god i could have gone then i, I could have been a statistic I, I could have been a you know that could have been my chips i could have been up and then you know as i say i was faced with that well, what have I done? And my short answer was, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough by my standards. Um, and it's time that I rectified that and changed that and and um, try to do some good in life or try to help other people more um, and, and try to fulfill my creative dreams and try to live them out and actually make them happen. So I think that was the real, what I came back with, apart from every day is a gift and, um some other things which I came back with, uh, where my 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 views have changed or my tolerances have changed. The main thing is as I say, every day, every day is to be treasured, every day is, is a gift, every day should be used for something, um, even if, if it's for self-help. Um and yeah, I've struggled with the after effects of being disabled now, being physically disabled. I've had to come through that, but that's given me a greater understanding of mental health. And that then in turn gives me more understanding to help other people um, who, who are also suffering from mental health. So it, it's been a real roller coaster at, at, at times. Um, but again, I, I think the main thing, as I say, is it's coming out with a completely different change of perspective, mind and heart, and just trying to feel productive and useful. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Pleasure. And pleasure. I think you're going to inspire a lot of people by sharing. I hope so. I, I really hope so, uh, Jeff. And, you know, as I was saying to you before, I mean, I'm really inspired by people like yourself because at the end of the day, it is about helping other people. It's about inspiring other people. And it's about giving people all around the world just maybe a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope. And there's enough going on in this life you know, especially at the moment in this world, there's enough darkness and there's enough fear and there's enough hatred and all of this stuff. And there's not enough hope. There's not enough, you know, compassion, empathy, kindness, all that stuff. And all right, we can't change the world overnight. We could win the lottery tomorrow and have all the money in the world, but we, we won't be able to solve. But little thing, you know, what you're doing and, and what, you know, uh, I'm involved with with other people and I've seen other people starting up. They're little tiny things, but they 
grow like flowers. They blossom and they bloom. And it just has this rippling effect outwards. And I've seen from your comments and, and from your you know, many videos now, the power that that instills, the positive power of, 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 of giving people hope. And, and I think, I, th I don't think you can do anything stronger for a human being than to give them hope um it's especially that you know, you know when, when it comes to things that are maybe beyond life you know hope that there is something beyond um it's, you, you know we do I, I i i've dealt with a lot of bereavement counseling in my time and it's very difficult to give to do that with people who have no faith that there is something beyond life um and i also i always feel very, very so sorry for them that they don't have something and I understand it's personal choice and everything else, and we're all entitled to our personal choices. But, you know, bereavement and grief are so, so, so difficult at the best of times. But at least we have the knowledge, hope, hopefully, that, you know, our loved ones do go on, that they are still there. And I've seen my mother multiple times now in spirit, because when I came back, I got heavily into meditation. I'm a qualified meditation teacher now, as is my wife. And we're finding ways to develop meditation with spiritual development. And we, we, we just love doing that. And seeing people having these experiences in a deep meditational state or in deep meditative state, even, where they're going over and spending time with their loved ones. They're going mm. over and seeing their parents. They're seeing their children. They're seeing their pets. And they come back with tears in their eyes. And they say, oh, this is just, I, I didn't know I could do this. And, and it's, you know, and as I say, what you're doing, I think, is spreading that out there so that people think, well, if he can do it, maybe, you know, so it's yeah. it's giving people power back, isn't it? It's knocking the ball back into their core, as, as Spirit did with me, and saying, well, you know, what do you want to do? Right. Rather than me saying, well, I could have done this, but it's somebody's fault, it's, you know, it isn't my fault. It's like, what do you want to do? So the ball was put into my court. Oh, actually, I want to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Do you think your foot was healed due to the NDE, the prayers, or a combination of both? I think a combination of both. I, I genuinely do. I could feel that that donut around me of, of and that's, that's, that's an awful description, I'm sure, but that energy bubble around me was, and I've been in healing and spiritual healing now for pushing 40 years. I had never felt anything close to that. That it was absolutely physical, tangible, powerful. And I knew that something I, I knew from that moment because they've been telling me for three days, you might die. You're definitely going to use lose your leg. You're never going to walk again. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do that. You're never going to so and, and they obviously have to do that as part of their job. I, I have to be informed. But for the first time, I thought, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. So physically, I felt well. Mentally, I felt cleansed. I felt, oh. And again, it's that, it's that hope. And despite, I knew that if, if a surgeon came to me and said, well, I think, you know, according to the textbook, blah, blah, blah. I know in my, from, from my experience, I know I'm going to be fine. I don't care what you say. Mm. I know I'm going to be fine because I can feel it. I could feel, I could feel movement in my foot. But it, it, that, it came from other people and I was attended to, I was in two hospitals um, during my stay and I was attended to by various nurses, a lot of student nurses and a lot of um, very, very highly skilled nurses and, you know, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people, angels. 
And all of them gave me the same account. They said, this is, this is odd. This is, this is strange. Your foot is not, is not acting like it should in the textbooks. Your foot shouldn't be healing. It, it shouldn't be healing. And, it, it, and if it is going to heal, it would take 10 years or something like it would, it would, it would take a long time. My foot literally filled up from being a hollow shell to filling up in, I think it took, yeah, it was about four weeks. Um, and they said, well, we don't know. And again, we don't know why. You're very weird. Go away. Um, but but it was, and again, I think the only person who really genuinely understood it was, was the chaplain who came round. And we were able to have that beyond physical talk, that, that spiritual um, conversation about, you know, God's love. God, God's healing, God, God, God's light. And she said to me, it, it wasn't your time. I didn't tell her about the near-death experience because um, I thought that might be stretching it a little bit too far. Um, but I talked a lot about, you know, what I'd felt with the healing and she'd read my notes and as I said, she was a trained doctor and she said, it, it doesn't make any sense, Kevin. It doesn't make any sense for it to heal that quick. She said, you're obviously, someone's looking after you. I, I think that's, that's how she, you know, God is looking after you. And she said, would you mind praying with me? And I said, I have prayed with anybody. I don't, you know, I've got no barriers at all. And she, we held hands and we prayed and we prayed to God and we prayed to Jesus and we prayed to the angels. And she said, do you mind that? And I said, I've got, doesn't bother me in the slightest because to me, it's the one source. It's God's love. You know, you can describe it however you want to describe it. You know, you mm-hmm. can put it in words, but to me, it's, it's that one force of love and I, I know it's real because I'm living proof of it, because otherwise I, I wouldn't be here. I would have died in, in my hospital bed, or I'd have died on the operating table when my heart gave out. So it wasn't my time, but um, but I also know that I could have gone over if I'd wanted to, but it was it was just very personal. It was a very personalized experience for me. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, people do say, oh, you know, you're gonna be judged and you're gonna be this, and you know, you're gonna see your life flash before you. Um, I guess it, it was, I guess it was a bit of a life review, but it was like that. It was really, really quick and it was all internalized. And it was me asking myself thousands of questions at the same time and coming to the conclusion that I'd not done half, a quarter, 10% even of what I had set out to do. And why had, why had I not done that? Why had I not done this? Why had I not done that? Um, and so the, all that turned inward on, on, on me. But the figure that I saw, I mean, I, I could only describe him as pure patience and, and pure love. And, you know, no matter how irritated with myself I got, he calmed me completely down. He took my hand at one point and the, the calm, it was, be- again, I work as a writer. I can't put this into, I, I, I tried writing about this and it's so, some of the stuff I can get close to um, and it's a bit like when you have an out of body experience and go to the spirit and you see these wonderful things and you come back and you think, oh, I'm going to write about that. And you, oh, there isn't a word for that. There isn't a word for that color. There isn't a word for that experience. It's, it's very difficult. And sometimes in the past, I've only ever been able to really properly or, or get closer to it by, comp- by composing music. Um, I've, uh, I've got closer to the feeling with music than, than I have with, with words. But it is so difficult to put it into words, Jeff, because it's... Um, it, it, it kind of hits you from from all sides and 
you're dealing with a lot of stuff. And it, like I said, I literally had a thousand conversations going on in my head at the same time. And I knew that I could go with my mother through the door and I would see the flowers, I would see the dancing penguins, I would see, it would be, it would be absolutely amazing. And she said, oh, you, oh, you know this. And I said, one day, one day, but not now. And I know that she, I don't know, I felt maybe she wanted me to go, but that would be my mother anyway. That would be who she was. She'd go, oh, come on, it's lovely. But, so it was a really a personal battle for me uh, to decide whether to come back. But yes, to answer your question, yes, I think a little bit of both, Jeff. I, I think once I came back, I think the healing process was was then set, you know, um, um, in process. It, it started, but the speed with which it happened and the way in which it happened was just baffling because it made no medical sense for it to happen that quick. And I've been told that by multiple people you know dozens and dozens of independent people so there's got to be something to it right it's, it's not just one person's view do you feel like that white room is kind of like a waiting room to going to heaven yes my yeah my wife described it as that when i told her she said it sounded like a waiting room i thought oh, it did a bit it, it felt like Yes, it did. It, it felt very much like a, I knew that if I went beyond the door, I couldn't come back. I, I knew that much. And I hadn't even noticed the door when I came in. It was only when the gentleman came through with the white robe that I even saw the door was, was there. And I knew if I went through that, that would be game over for me or the start of a new wonderful existence. Um, but Yes, I, I did feel as if it was yeah very much like that. That's the, the that's the closest description that I can get to it. It was like a waiting room, um, but the whiteness of it was just surreal. It was beyond white. It was like the walls were glowing. They were alive. The the ceiling, the floor, everything had energy. Everything had vib um, vibrance. Everything had life and meaning. Um, but it was. I would love to go back. I expect everyone says this is who's had an who's had an NDE. You'd love to go back with a camera and a notepad and go right. What's that bit I missed before? Because some, a lot of stuff which has only come out when people ask me questions that I hadn't thought about. And I was on I was on a Facebook group and um, I was talking about my near death experience and somebody asked me a question. I thought oh, I'd never thought about it. And they said, when your mother spoke to you, a was she the same age as when she died? And b did her mouth move? And I thought. Those are good questions. I never thought about that. And my mother was 84 when she passed, and she passed with dementia. And um, um, she it was definitely her time to go. She was very, very poorly, very, very, very frail. And when I saw her, I would say she would be late 30s, early 40s. And I thought, yes, her mouth did move. And I mean, in life, her mouth moved an awful lot. But, but it was, but yes, it did. And yet when he came along, and I hadn't put the two together until somebody asked me the question. So it's like, you're in it. And then when you try to record it, you think, oh, I wish I could remember that. I wish I... And I'm sure there's bits I've missed completely. Um, but it's like, you're in the middle of it and you're trying to remember everything and all this stuff is coming in. And literally, like I said, a thousand thoughts going through the head at once. Do I want to stay here? Do I want to go back? Do I want to go through the door and see all the wonders that are there? And I think at the end of the day, I, I, I know I made the right choice. But it also reconfirms my belief that there is something beyond. And I know that one day I will get there and they will open the door and go, come on in. We've been waiting for you. And I'm sure in spirit it'll be like that. Um, 
and and I'm sure that when the time is right, then 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 that's going to be you know a wonderful day. I have no fear of death, absolutely, whatsoever, and never have done. So um, yeah, it was a. Uh, um, yeah, to answer your question again, I'd say yes, very, very much a waiting room. That's the closest description that I could think of it. It was there, it was definitely a point beyond which I couldn't travel and come back. Has the memory of this faded over the years? No. No, it's very similar to, um, to an out-of-body experience I had 36 years ago. There's, I can recall it with immense detail. And normally, I mean, my memory is awful. In dreams, I can't remember dreams. I'm terrible with dreams. And I can have the most detailed dreams and I can't remember them upon waking up. I can't remember anything at all. This one stuck in my head. It would not go away. I can see the. I can see my mother's face. I can hear her voice. I can see my stepfather's face. I can see the people behind him who are there to support me. Some of whom I know I, I have memory of and others who I don't, but I think i do and again there's all these kind of things that go on and again it would be love to go back and analyze everything and go oh now i'd like to go and see that group and see who they were i'm sure that one of them was my guide i'm sure that one of them was somebody else i'm sure that one of them was was great uncle bert or this that or the other but i was just aware of them i didn't need they, they, i didn't need to be aware of them in detail i just needed to be aware that they were sending me their love um but my mother was the main spokesperson with a uh, stepfather stood behind dutifully um, and, and this wonderful gentleman who came through. Um, but yeah, it's, I felt like everything was really planned down to the last detail, but it was all, you know, again, given to me, what do you want to do? There was no, well, you're going to do this. This is what's going to happen. We're going to, you know, you're going to go through this or you can do A, B, C or D. And as I said, when I got angry, well, not angry with the gentleman, but I was getting angry with myself. And I said, you know, I, I, you know, this is really, I'm really cross at myself. I'm really angry with myself. I'm really cross. I said, I feel such an idiot. And the again, the angrier I got, the calmer he got. And it was just so peaceful and loving and patient. And said, well, what do you want to do? And I thought, hmm. And then I wake up in the hospital bed and I think, right, now what do I do? Um, and hopefully, I you know I'm on a better pathway after the NDE, and and certainly it seems that way because my life is a lot busier now, and there's a lot more plans, a lot more stuff going on, and and very much like yourself, hopefully down the line, plans to help people and 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 inspire, encourage, and and just give people hope that that there is life beyond physical death. Life does go on for us, for our animals, for our loved ones. Um, and I've been very lucky enough to have a lot of experience which exemplify that. But the, the near-death experience kind of just, it all came together. It's like it all came together in that moment. Um, so hopefully, I can only hope that, as I say, every day is a gift. And I only hope that I do that justice in the future by trying to um, be as positive as I can and trying to just reach out and and very much, again, like yourself, trying to change people's preconceptions um, their understandings to increase their knowledge to increase their awareness to increase their sensitivity um, and and to give as much ho hope as possible i you know i i can't really think of any other way to express the love that i felt that day that that morning um i i can't think of any other way to do that than to give it out and to try to spread it out
What kind of advice do you give to people who have recently lost a loved one or a family member to the other side? Oh, such a difficult question, isn't it? Because we are so individualistic. And like I said, I've done a fair bit of grief counseling in my time. And there is, there is no rule book there. I, I think with somebody, I, it's not, it's not a conversation that can be a flippant one. It has to be an in-depth one. And I think there has to be trust. Um, I worked for a long time as a spiritual medium in spiritual churches uh, in the UK. And we get asked a lot of questions that people would not normally ask other people. And, and we, would get, we get sworn to secrecy a lot because people, and again, there's this real, in the West, there's this real fear of death. And a real, I find a lot of ignorance of death and, and a lot of misconception, but mostly fear. And I would get asked, I, I would get pulled to one side after a, a service and I would be sworn, you know, be made to swear on the Bible. You're not to tell anybody about this. And somebody would give a, you know, um, and it would always be about bereavement, grief and loss. And people just want to know that there is something beyond so they would give an experience, say, of an after, um, maybe an after-death communication or a telephone call that they'd had from a loved one who had passed the week before. And they say, is this normal or am I going you're completely mad? And you go, no, it's normal. There, there's lots of literature out there. There's lots of books on this. But it's so difficult sometimes to get that across. And I know people, I've got dear friends, and some of them, like I say, some of them have no faith structure at all. And others have an unbelievable concrete um rock hard faith system i think you've got to find it's all in the communicative aspects of allowing somebody to talk about that and uh, trying to understand their concepts their precepts of what they think could be but i this is where i love spirit and how they work because especially when you're dealing with things like after death communications and especially when you're dealing with those kind of things with people who are very cynical and which you can see the confusion in their mind or they'll see you know, something of a completely spirit, uh, spiritual nature that goes against their, uh, their very confi- uh, um, confined concepts of you know, what is and what isn't. Um, um, but it's, it's a real tough one. I mean, all I try to do is say, look, there is a wealth of literature out there that's been you know, thousands of years old there's a wealth of literature that comes from modern spiritualism, which is pushing what 180 years old now, going back to the 1850s. There are plenty of authors out there. There are plenty of places where you can go. It's so easy for people to get, unfortunately, as I say, caught in the, the, the generalities. If you go into a workplace in the UK, in, even in this day and age, and you say, oh, I saw a ghost last night. You're going to get ridiculed. You're, you are going to get laughed at. You're going to get ridiculed. They're going to go, hello. You know, you need to put more water in there, mate. That's what you need to do. You need to lay off those funny fags. That's what you need to do. And all, the, all this kind of stuff. No one's going to take you seriously. And, and, and that comes from the Western company, you know, the fear of death, the, the, the fear of getting older, the fear of dying. It's so I always say, look, don't, don't, you know, don't follow the general trend. 
don't go down the pub and say, oh, you know, I'm really worried about, you know, because there might be, because you're not going to get a balanced conversation there. Come and talk to people who've had near-death experiences. Come and talk to people who work as mediums. Come and talk to people who write books on this subject. You're going to get, because there is, you know, there's so much misconception out there in the general public. And I think it does come from fear, Jeff. I, I think, as I say, death in the West is a, is a very fearful thing. We must be afraid of it. In the East, there's a much more relaxed concept towards death and dying. And it's seen almost as a, a natural process such as birth you know uh that's Tibetan book of living and dying is a phenomenal book um and covers a great deal of ground in the west we we're afraid of it we don't want to look old we we don't want to feel old we don't want to die you know and all this, this kind of thing and so what if you can strip away that fear with somebody and say well look you know um I've had this experience and I've been very lucky and blessed over the years, even with my sceptical, very logical, sceptical mind. I've had some phenomenal experiences over the years. So I can give those and I can say, look, my wife has had or, you know, I've got 70,000 books here. Some of them are on this, some on that, some on this, some on that. Borrow them, read them, educate yourself. But it, there's no... There's no one way of doing it. And, and maybe there should be. Maybe there should be more educational, you know, aspects of that. Um, but it's it's a different it's it's always a difficult subject, isn't it, to to cross, especially when you're dealing with uh bereavement and grief and you go into the metaphysical or you start edging into the metaphysical, the parapsychological. There's that all oh, no, we don't go there. It all has to be contained within, you know. We'll use psychology and we'll, we'll accept that, you know, counselling, blah, 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 blah. But we don't wander into the, yes, but they still might be alive. You know, we don't go there. That's that's beyond, you know, the bounds. So, you know, I did try to work within the mainstream of movement counselling, but I found that it was, it was easier to work in, independently and people then come to you. And I think getting to know somebody, getting to understand their belief constructs, getting to understand, see if they've got any personal biases or their, you know, their faith. And I think once you can understand somebody, you can then adopt a better communicative skill set and say, well, look, have you thought about this? You know, rather than push it onto somebody or to say, well, look, here's some books. I would just let you show you. Just read them with an open mind. It would be wonderful if we could have that magic wand and say, you know, I can take your bereavement away. But it is. And I know people now, I've got dear friends who have suffered bereavement 20 years ago and are still suffering with it, still every day. It, it's a mental torture. Um, so it, it, it would be lovely to have a one size fits all. At the moment, we don't have it. And I think the only thing we can do is, I think the strongest skill set of, of that is to listen and to try to empathise and most of us, certainly, you know, of a certain age, will we'll be able to empathize, uh, to empathize with bereavement and loss and death. Um, and so that gives a certain um, um, respect in. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Jeff. It's a really good question. Um, I wish, as I say, I wish there was a one size fits all. I wish there was a magic wand that we could sweep that away and say, look, it's, it's fine. Um, I think one day we may get there, but it would need a shift in the understanding of metaphysical subjects and parapsychological subjects. Maybe that would come with quantum mechanics or quantum physics or a change in the basic laws of physics or science as we understand them, maybe in 100 years time. At the moment, it's too much. There's too much um, fear and there's too much um, 
ignorance, sadly to say. But I would advise anybody to um, talk to somebody who's been through it. I would advise anybody to talk to somebody who, I don't know, just 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 tries to understand. But it, it is a very good question, Jeff. I wish I had a better answer for you. I really do. If someone wanted to be able to meditate and have an OBE, what do you think is the best type of meditation to do that? Oh, another brilliant question. That has been one of the constructs of my work since coming back from the near-death experience. Prior to, in the 80s when I started, I was a bit anti the kind of, it was the new age movement then, and I was a bit anti the old crystal hippie brigade and the old meditation. And I was very much down to the life after death, parapsychology. It has to make you know, ghosts and paranormal is fine. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to know about crystals and chakras and all that stuff. Since coming back, I really want to know about crystals and chakras and stuff. And um, meditation has been a real fundamental aspect of my understanding and my growth and my learning. And I realized that I thought I understood what meditation was prior to my near-death experience. And I, I didn't have a clue. I really didn't, I really didn't have an, the slightest idea what it was. During, uh, I came out of hospital in 2019. And shortly after that, of course, we had the lovely COVID. And we were in lockdown in 2020. And... We run a group on Facebook, which is there to help people gain understanding, shall we say, and knowledge of all things to do with spiritualism, life after death, parapsychology, metaphysics, etc. And we try to put people in touch with um, academic resources, etc., etc., etc. And there are a few of us, and we weren't allowed to go out of the house because of the COVID and everything else. And we had, you know, it affected mental health in the, you know, worldwide, I'm sure. And so me and my wife set up, we thought, well, why don't we do something online? And we set up a meditation group online for about six or seven of us, friends. And we're still going now, 18 months later. And what it's allowed me to do is to try and experiment with different forms of meditation. And I'm also a qualified sound therapist and, and I'm studying music therapy at the moment as well. So I'm combining that in. And so using technology, I'm, it's been highly experimental, but I put together different forms of meditations of different depths and levels combined with music and different forms of music, different wavelengths and vibrations of music, different types of music, genres of music. And I'm finding that some of them work really well for literally having an out-of-body experience, for, for getting to that deeper, deeper stage. And as I say, we're very, very lucky in the, in the group. We, we do feel blessed that when people go out, they do meet up with their loved ones. And they come back again and say with tears in their eyes and say, oh, I had a wonderful conversation with my mother. Oh, it was amazing. And it's been just basic. I started with a basic construct of... Imagine a building. Um, I'm working on a book on this at the moment called The Inner Church. And I ask people to imagine their perfect church. And the church is everything that reflects them, their personality, their likes, their loves, their dislikes. Um, but it, 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 it's a real reflection, a physical reflection of who they are. 
And then once we get to used to building that, that, that physical church, we can use it then for a variety of different things. So using also the wonderful power of music and of sound and of frequency and vibrations, we've got to a stage where we can go to the church and using guided meditation, I can say, and now you're going to a room and in the room, there will be somebody in there, your mother, your father, your pet. And we, they have these wonderful experiences, but it's, I think a lot of meditation, and this is why I was talking, is learning to let go. And, and, and I was always very kind of, I can't do this, this is stupid. And my, my, my mind is very active. And so I would try to sit in meditation groups and I'd be there and my brain would be going, oh, this is boring, isn't it? Oh, God, I could be writing a book. I could be doing something. I could be watching telly. I could be doing anything. So I, 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 I didn't really get what it was all about. Since coming back from the near-death experience, I have felt a closer connection to spirit than, than I ever have done. And the inspiration that I got, that I've got when I have... Um, deep meditations and I go and sit in my church and I go over and I talk to my spirit guides and I talk to my my lovely mother and um, uh, my stepfather and other people is I come back with little ideals um, and and then it's just adding on to that so I've, I started with the basic concept of this is your church build it how you want and then gradually it's just um, just expanded and we now have an entire landscape that we are able to go to almost like a virtual reality but using the power of music using the power of sound using the power of meditation and trust um and we've come an awful long way and i think i wish I'd, i i wish i'd done this years ago i think it's 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 i've always found i, I don't know about people that you've encountered jeff on your travels but some people very commonly say to me oh i can't meditate it's you know i'm no good at, i i can't do it um and I used to be one of them, but I, but letting go, since I've come back, I think I've been able to let go more and trust my spirit um, hierarchies, my, my spirit group. And the benefits of that are, again, that we're learning as a group, we're growing as a group, you know, and we're having these wonderful experiences. And as I say, I'm working on a book on that because, again, I would love to spread that out and I'm trying to work on different um, forms of meditation to go to di for different tasks. It's certainly possible to do. Um, is it easy? No, it's not. And we've had to be very, very patient. Um, as I say, it's taken. Uh, we've been going about twenty months now. So, but you can see, it's a very gradual incline, and you've got to stay with it. And we've got the same. We've got about ten in our group now which is a lovely group and everybody is now working as a group. We had one on Monday and three people turned up in the same place. And I could see that they were all in the same place because I was watching them. Uh, Cause we always have one person, you know, in observation mode. And I could see these three people had all gone to the same place. And I was thinking, Oh, I wonder what they found. And they came back and I always say to them, and where did you go? And what did you do? And they came back and they'd all been to the same place. They'd all seen each other in the meditations. They'd all been to the same place in spirit. They'd all seen each other's uh, loved ones. And they would come back and go, how do we do that? <laughs> and, you know, and I, I don't have the definitive answer on that, 
But isn't it wonderful that we can do that, Jeff? Isn't it wonderful that we can have these experiences and we can, you know, we can travel. And I, I've heard people say they astral travel here and they astral travel there and they go there and do this. And I think it's just a wonderful gift to have. But but to be able to go over and see our loved ones, even for and I, I'm yeah, every time we have one of these, I'm not the most popular person in the room because I have to bring them back. They, they, they get really annoyed. So they're gone for 10 minutes, they're talking to their dad, and then they hear this idiot going, you don't let's come back now. And they're going, oh, I was just getting to it. I was just, oh, I was, I was like, oh, why'd you bring me back for? Because you'd be there for a week if I left you. Um, <laughs> but it's lovely, Jeff. And I think if you, if people do it, again, I don't think there's a stereotypical way to do it. I don't th- I think everybody, and again, we, we are so individualistic. And how I meditate is probably not going to be the same as how you or somebody else. So I think we have to find our own way of doing it. We, we have to find our own, what works for us. Now, because I'm, I'm a musician and because I, you know, music to me is a wonderful expression. Music works for me. So I can, I can go with the music. I can fall back into the music like a diver going off a boat into the sea, just fall back into the water and I can go with it. And that works for me. Maybe for other people, they'll need a guided meditation. Some people don't like guided meditations. They just want the music. Some people don't want the music. They just want silence. Some people just want noise. Some people like hearing the wind or the birds in the trees or the sea or this, that. So I think it's a question of exploring, finding what works for you and just doing it, you know, just keeping it as simple as possible, really. But it's not simplistic at all, obviously. But... I think the simpler we can make anything in life, especially with things of this nature, the better it is. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they reach you? Um, I'm on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Um, I have a couple of Facebook groups. We have a specific one for um, anything to do with life beyond physical death. Uh, it's called Life After Life. It's a Facebook group. Um, it's a private group, so nothing is. Everything in the group stays in the group. Um, you can you can apply to come into that. It's we've got about eight hundred and fifty people, eight hundred and eighty people, something like that at the moment. And it's basically it's we try to use it as a pool of knowledge. So there's a lot of historical documents that I will use from my my many books and documents that I have here and I will type them out and I will put them in there because people I think they need to hear it you know they need we cover uh, mediumship we'll cover physical mediumship uh, trance work um, after-death communications near-death communications electronic voice phenomena um, instrument trans uh, so instrumental transcommunications uh, pets, uh, basically anything, the paranormal, we don't, you know, it, it's a safe place and people can come in and say whatever and not feel stupid. You know what I mean? Because a lot of it does sound weird. You come in and say, well, I saw a floating head there, you know, and people, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. But in our group, you know, we, we're, it should be a safe place and every, every, every group should, should, should be a safe place in theory. But it's a place for people to share um it's a place for people to well i have this weird experience much like when i was working as a medium people would literally pin me against the wall and say no you're not to tell a living soul but i've seen my my mother and she died six years ago am i going mad and you say no no you're not going mad it's a very common experience i can give you five books 
which highlight all these kind of experiences, or you can go to this group on Twitter, or that group, or that on Twitter, or this, that, and the other. And, and people just want to know that they're not losing the, the plot completely. And, and I think there's a lot of that. And we have a lot of people who come in and share some wonderful, unbelievable stories almost. But then people see the synchronicities. And like, say, if, I'd, if I had no faith and I had an experience, um, I had my experience, I'd be thinking, well, is that in my head? But when somebody else comes in and says, oh, I had the same experience as you, or I had this and I think, oh, I saw that. Oh, I heard that. And so much like in the meditation group we, we, we run, I love it when spirit do their little synchronicities and people come back and say, oh, I saw a, uh, well, it was a beautiful white flower and had a, a red feather going out of it. And somebody say, oh my God, I had a white a flower with a red feather going out of it. And somebody say, oh my God, I had a white feather. And so, you, you know, it's that, it's that, oh, I'm not alone. I, it's not just me. Uh, you know, my experience is universal. And I think the more that we can do that, the more that we can get it out there, the more that we can spread the word, the more that we can share, the more, you know, this is real. Um, it's very easy to, for cynical minds to say, oh, it's your imagination. I'm sure they would say to me that it was, you know, it was my medicine or it was this or it was that. And, and I'm sure they could go through all the experiences I've had and say, oh, you know, you obviously had cheese the night before, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But when you get people together, hundreds of people together, as we have in a group, and they're all sharing similar experiences, and then you go to other groups, and there are thousands of people. And I think there needs to be that revolution at the moment, Jeff. There needs to be that, you know, people like us, we, we need that voice, the curious, the inquisitive, people who've had experiences that they can't explain, and likely will go to somebody and they'll be told that they're you know, mad or, or insane or drunk or this, that and the other, and very dismissive and judgmental. But when you do find somebody like that and you say, well, I had that, I had that happen to me in 1982, and you see the relief just coming to, oh, God, I thought I was losing the plot. You say, no, 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 I, you know, I had that. My, my mate had that happen to him in 1985. Just six books on people who've you know had those experiences as well. There's stuff on YouTube. There's this. There's that. And I think all we can do at the moment, very much like you're doing, Jeff, um, is just get it out there, broadcast, and yeah. get 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 the knowledge out there. Get out. You know, get away from this. Oh, you're all a bunch of idiots. Oh, you're all this. You're all that. You're all stupid. You're all, you know, you're being deceived and you're deceiving yourselves and all this kind of stuff, all this ignorant claptrap. And the more that, you know, we speak up as individuals, we get that out there, you know, and it's not so much for, because people say to me, wouldn't it be lovely if we could convince the whole of science that there's life after death? Well, you know, and I say, I think, well, no, it's not about the scientists. It's about, it's about people who have had that experience. If you've lost a loved one, if you've lost your husband or your wife, or even your dog, you know, or your cat, and you have that period of grieving, that horrible um, period of grieving, you're not interested in what some scientist in Los Angeles thinks or some bloke in, you know, out of Mongolia on a sheep farm. You don't give a monkeys about that. You want to know that there is something beyond, you know, our perception of uh, life beyond death, physical death. And I see since since I came back, and I was doing a lot of this before, but since I've come back from my 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 near death, 
there's that call to shout louder, get it out there more. And I've less, I think when I was younger, you do a little bit, you think, well, I, I would like to say that, but I'm not sure if I should. I might upset people. Without being blunt, I've come back and I, I don't give a monkey's who I upset. I, 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 I don't care. It, you know, this needs to be heard. This needs to be said. Um, and I think there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more of that conviction. I did have this experience. I wasn't delusional. I'm not lying because the cynics will always will always narrow it down to two things. One, this person is a fraud or two, they're, 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 there's something wrong with them. But I did have this experience. It was real. And I know an awful lot of people who share my experience and have had one too. And I think that's the only way that we can go forward and, and, and to grow in numbers. And, you know, podcasts like yourself and, and other people doing this um, is so vital to that. You, you know, we yes, we do have books and we've had books for thousands of years, as I say, since modern spiritualism, since the 1850s. We've got tons of them. I've got thousands of them. That's great. But in the day and age that we live in, with the technology that we have, I think especially if we're trying to get through to the younger generation, we probably don't want to look at a dusty old book, antique book, but they will listen to YouTube. They will listen to you, Jeff. They will listen to other people coming through saying, well, I had this experience. I had that experience. I had this experience. And, and I think that's how, that's how we get the word out there. That's how we change the perceptions. So it doesn't become a joke. Oh, you saw a ghost, did you? Uh, something wrong with you, mate. You know, there isn't that, oh, you're either lying or you're delusional, schizophrenic, blah, blah, blah. Yes, I'm one of those people who've had that experience and I'm proud to say it. Um, and there are, I mean, I've, I started writing a book on because I wanted to put people's experiences down as well as my own, but other people's experiences. And I have found it so hard to get people to talk about their experiences in a book. Because there is this massive misconception or somebody's going to read that and they're going to know it's me and they're going to ring me up and say, you're mad, you are. And I've, I've, I've offered an, uh, complete anonymity. I say, I'm not going to mention a name. No, they'll know it's me. And there's this, this, this tangible fear, isn't there, that, that we, if we start talking about this stuff, there's something wrong with us. You know, we're, we're a bit out there we're a bit on the you know on the edge like um and i think it it needs to change that it, it you know and and that can only come from people like yourself and, and myself and other people you know all your wonderful people who've, who've had their experiences talking about it getting it out there and saying it with conviction i did have this experience and also i don't care what you think you know because you're always going to get that you know it's going to oh it's all a load of nonsense all the rubbish and i think yeah, you know, I mean, I, I certainly, especially since my last, I've had people say to me, well, you're just dreaming. And I said, I don't care what you think. Oh, yes, but, you know, I'm entitled to my opinion. Yes, you are. But it, it has no bearing on, on the experience that I had. And I couldn't, I couldn't care less. Um, and so I, I think we do need that conviction to express this more to people and, and, and spread the word and spread the hope that there is life beyond physical death. Kevin, before we finish up, can you leave us yes. with one last positive message? I think for me, what has got me through life is my conviction of faith, in, in my, my rock hard faith. And that has come from multiple 
experiences, bearing in mind that I have a very sceptical, logical mind. So if stuff gets through that, it has to be very convincing for me. And I've been blessed to have multiple experiences where I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is life beyond physical death. I know our loved ones never leave us. Uh, I know our pets ne never leave us. I know that, that, that we just, you know, that, 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 that love is phenomenal. If I had to have one message, I would, I won't go into it in detail, but I will go back to, I will relate to an experience I had in 1986 where I had a very spiritual out-of-body experience. And I came back with from that with the conviction that we are connected to everything in the universe. Everything is connected to us and we are connected to everything. We are a part of each other. We are a part of this world. Everything is a part. We are all one. And I think coming back from the NDE, it, it does incur frustration because obviously the world that we live in is not based around those precepts um you, you know we you know it's about division and it's about this that and hatred but from my experiences i would say my combined experience i would say the biggest force the uniting force is connection we are all one we, we are all connected to that divine source and you can call it god you can call it love you can call it light you can call it whatever you want to call it bob and put a hat on it it, it doesn't matter what matters is that that we feel the energy and i've been lucky enough to feel that energy to touch that energy to be a part of that energy and from my experiences in spirit and with meditation and with astral traveling I've also felt that connection. Every time I have an experience like that, there's always that connection. So that's the one constant for me, that, that, that connection that we all have. Um, and I guess in an ideal world, we would build on that and we would learn to you know, have this wonderful network of love and light. And there is that frustration of why can't we just get on and do that? Because you know, you know, in a perfect world, we should just do that and nothing else. But I, I guess, Life would be a challenge if we did that. I guess that's maybe how the spirit world is based. So I would say to people, yes, you're connected, but also I would ask people to connect, learn to connect to themselves and find that inner connection. Because trying to change the world is one thing, but if we, you know, um, if we if we can't connect with ourselves and if we can't heal ourselves, then it's not a lot of good trying to send it out. So start with the self, connect with the self, find out who we are, find out what we love doing, think like a child, act like a child. You, you know, what 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 gives me joy in life? And then take it out. How can I? Well, there's a person with whom I can connect, there's a person with whom I share, there's a person who has love, there's a person, and just and spread it out. It's so easy, isn't it, in this world to spread hatred and fear. The media do it all the time. But how wonderful it would be if we could connect and spread love outwards and, and take that and just run with it and learn and grow. But yeah, I would say Jeff. The connection to everything, to the, the universal connection, would be the one thing that certainly I brought back um, from from my experience, and also from my near death experience, where everyone I know that was in that room was connected to me and to each other, and I know that beyond that door, it was a world of connections, and not just global connections, but universal connections, 
Um, and I think that's when my time is up. Kevin. That's what I want to. That's what I want to explore. That those universal connections. That's what I want to. That's a, that. Imagine that, Jeff. Imagine that. <laughs> Kevin, thank you for that message, and thank you again for being our guest today. You're so I welcome. I really You're appreciate so welcome, you, and I wish you a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.